0: want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're gonna need help if you want to make an impact. Well what? endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community.
1: Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed podcast brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. This is where we bring you community discourse about the amazing organizations and people who come together to make Edmonton strong. Every month, we share stories from spaces where endowments and communities intersect. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink.
2: And I'm Andrew Paul. We had too many great stories this month to pack into just one episode, so we're back with another one to share more with you. On this episode, we'll talk to ProCoro Canada, a world renowned choir here in Edmonton, about an endowment fund that they're setting up to honor two of their volunteers. But first, Brian Jackson is going to tell us about Data for Good and their upcoming Edmonton Arts Datathon here in Edmonton.
1: Datathon is the right word. Folks will be gathering from Friday, November 23rd to Sunday, November 25th to take a deep dive into data from Alberta's arts community. Data for Good is working with Edmonton Arts Council, Alberta Foundation for the Arts, Edmonton Community Foundation, and others to offer interesting data sets for you to explore.
2: That's right. It's a full weekend of data mining to pull out trends and information that can help us better understand how to support the arts in our province. Participants will form teams to analyze data and present their findings. So if you're a data geek and love community engagement, this will be a very exciting event for you. Lisa Pruden sat down with the director of Data for Good, Brian Jackson.
3: Good afternoon. My name is Brian Jackson, and I'm here with Data for Good at Edmonton. To learn more.
4: Thanks for being here, Brian. Let's jump right in. What is Data for Good?
3: You know what? I brought along the section that comes straight off our website, and I'm actually going to read it because... I think it actually captures what we do really nicely. Data for Good is a collective of do gooders who want to use their powers for good and not evil to help make our communities better through data. We are a national, not for profit organization with chapters across the country that help other not for profit and non government organizations harness the power of their data to make more informed and better decisions in their quest to make communities flourish.
4: And so now my question is. How?
3: How? Well, I mean, that that starts to get into a, a really long and interesting discussion, but the, the short version is there's an awful lot of power in, in data, and many organizations, and, and in particular nonprofits, struggle to capture data and struggle even further to do anything more with the data besides using it for reporting purposes. And that's typically because they're they're pressed for time, they're pressed for money, resources, all of those standard reasons. Data for good can help with that. And so what we do is we seek out organizations that are, are far enough along in the, the data maturity curve. They have data, they have some stuff that we can actually look at, and we look at how we can actually help an organization with their data, understanding it more and asking questions that... Typically, they wouldn't be able to ask. Actually, they might be able to ask them, but they wouldn't have the capability of answering them. And, and so that's really where uh, we come in. By organizing a crowd of data scientists, who, people who do this for a living, to come and donate their time and their effort to the community with a very, very specific and valued skill set. I mean, this is not your average skill set looking at data and extracting interesting tidbits out of sort of this random collection of stuff that that floats across the screen. So we help facilitate that process. We get people in a room. We get the data from the organization. We kind of curate it and clean it up. And then we go ahead and let them loose.
4: What does it look like when you let the data scientists loose?
3: You know, for the datathon that we're hosting in November... We've actually got six categories, which are, are segmented, and they look at geographic information systems, they look at text analytics, they look at local and regional comparisons. So, so it's very structured in terms of what we're actually trying to achieve for the goals. And the work around the goals is actually a, a very collaborative and ongoing effort uh, with the organizations, the nonprofits that we're working with, to try and figure out, what are the kinds of objectives that we could meaningfully handle in a in a weekend datathon with uh, a crowd full of smart smart people so it's it's kind of this wonderful iterative process that actually gets us to a good result at the end
4: and so for the datathon in November, you are getting data from the Edmonton Arts Council, from the Alberta Foundation for the Arts, and from Edmonton Community Foundation. Is that correct?
3: And actually, many more. When I checked the list this morning, there was about 35 organizations or data sets that were actually extracting data to put into the datathon. And some of those are uh, open data source from Stats Canada. Uh, others are geographic data sets that allow us to translate uh, a bunch of the information from the arts into geographic maps and representations so that we can actually see interesting things about how we cover geography. Um, so it's looking at all of these things, putting them into this this pot and and stirring it up to see what comes out. Uh,
4: so this datathon is focusing on, on arts organizations throughout Alberta. What kind of things might get stirred up?
3: Well, you know, that's, that's always a really interesting question. Most organizations, when they're looking at their data, they look at just their data and it's very difficult to find interesting relations outside of their world and and most of the time they don't have time. The datathon is an opportunity to add in all of these other data sets and actually see what other correlations and connections can be made to the individual organization's data. So in fact, uh, when we start mixing it all together, we're actually never quite sure what, what the final result will be, but it, it always has some interesting surprises and some interesting insights into the organization's data. And I've, I've actually, I came with a couple of examples. And we'll start first with a datathon that was done a couple of years ago in Calgary with the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter and the uh, YWCA. And they were actually looking at all of the data and combining their data sets to see if they could understand better how to serve the needs of, of women in sort of in crisis and what kind of results were shareable between the two organizations. And by actually sharing the data, they were actually able to find lots of interesting stuff that they could share back and forth uh, without having to recreate all that effort to, to figure it out in the first place. So that's, that's kind of the, the typical example. Last year, when we worked on the Edmonton Community Foundation and, and in fact, the Calgary Community Foundation, and one of the outcomes uh, that, that I think is really remarkable is the Edmonton Foundation actually changed some subtle, subtle but very important pieces around their, how they collect the data and how they share the data so that it would facilitate improved understanding and analysis in the future. So that's actually a big shift coming out of a datathon. So we were actually pretty proud of that.
4: Can you tell us a little bit about this upcoming datathon?
3: So uh, this up- upcoming datathon is on November 23rd, 24th, and 25th. On the evening of the uh, 23rd, which is a Friday, we invite the arts organizations to come in, and we actually have kind of a social social bit of, of the evening where we introduce people to the owners of the data. The 24th is all work. You get here early, you work until whatever time at night you, you need to finish, looking at data, getting your data analysis complete, and getting ready to uh, put a brief presentation together on the Sunday. Then later Sunday morning, and starting at, at about noon, We actually start with uh, presentations, and as you can imagine, it's a bit of a challenge to try and get 40 or 50 data analysts to fit within a rather narrow time frame (laughs) and talk about what interesting things they learned uh, about the data sets. Once they're finished with their presentation, we then spend weeks after the fact trying to bundle it all up and make some sense of it and hand over sort of a a package to the organizations that participated so that they can actually have this nice takeaway. But it doesn't end there. What we actually challenge the organizations to is, okay, so we've done this work for you. Now, we we want you to go away, think about what did you learn, what, what could you change, and out of all the items, what would you change in your business to improve it based on what you've learned? And then a few months later, we invite them back and say, come and talk to us. Tell us what you learned. And uh, we haven't been uh, let down yet. It's It's a wonderfully rewarding process to see the organizations grow through this. And what's really interesting is the questions they ask when they start aren't the questions they're asking when they're finished.
4: Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us to tell us a little bit about the Datathon and about Data for Good.
3: And it's my pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks to Brian Jackson for telling us all about Edmonton Arts Datathon 2018. The Datathon will take place November 23rd to November 25th here at Edmonton Community Foundation. If you'd like to participate, registration is free on Eventbrite, and we'll be sure to put the link on our show notes.
2: If there's one universal truth about the majority of nonprofit organizations it's that they depend on volunteers to make their work possible. And in the case of ProCoro Canada, it was a pair of dedicated volunteers who brought the world-class choir back from the brink of financial disaster. Joanne Mann was a volunteer on Procoro Canada's Board of Directors from 1983 until 1985 and maintained a close relationship with the company long after her tenure ended. So close, in fact, that when her husband Russ Mann retired from a career in finance, she told him to join Procoro's Board of Directors in 2005 as a way to keep busy. Little did Procoro know that the Manns would play a leading role in stewarding the organization through the financial crisis of 2008. When the company slipped into the red, Russ stepped down from the board and into the role of executive director on a volunteer basis. And it was his years of experience in the banking and finance sector that steered ProCoro back into the black and has set them up for long-term financial stability, ensuring Edmonton will continue to be a home to one of the best choirs in the world. To honor Russ and Joanne's commitment to ProCoro, the organization has established an endowment fund at Edmonton Community Foundation in their name. I sat down with Russ... Hello, my name is Russ Mann. Joanne. My name is
0: Joanne Mann.
2: And Mireille Riovitz. Hello, my name is Mirei Riovitz. Procoro's current executive director to chat about the man's legacy. Welcome to the Well Endowed podcast, Rest, Joanne, and Mireille. Mireille, let's kick things off with you. Can you tell us about Procoro and how it fits into Edmonton's music scene?
5: Procoro Canada is a professional choir, and professional um, means a few things. One is the excellence of the music making and also that our members are all paid. So there are many, many uh, community choirs, uh, church choirs in the city, but this is really a professional choir. Uh, Pro Choral Canada is going to be celebrating its 40th year in wow. Edmonton. Um, and uh, we're still working at getting the word out about Pro Choral Canada. And how it fits in the music scene, what I would say is we're a professional group like the Edmonton Opera or like the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. But of course, we're um, smaller budget compared to Edmonton Opera and smaller concert season as opposed uh, compared to the ESO. But we're right up there in the standards. So I would say we're uh, in cl- the classical music scene in Edmonton. We're one of the flagship ensembles. Absolutely. And and how many singers are in the ensemble? 24. So we're a chamber choir size, what they say, which is a little smaller than maybe an orchestral choir like the Richard Eaton Singers, for example. But yeah, so a little bit smaller.
2: We're here to chat about the Russ and uh, Joanne Mann Endowment Fund that has been in the works being established at Edmonton Community Foundation for a little while now. And... Joanne, maybe you can tell us about when you learned that you're going to have an endowment fund named uh, in your and Russ's honour.
0: Well, it was a lovely surprise, and I have to say that previously I'd been familiar with the Edmonton Community Foundation Endowment Fund uh, program through the Richard Eaton Fund, because I was on the uh, board of that choir when the endowment fund was established, so I was very comfortable having my name stand with Russ as an endowment fund that encourages uh, Canadian composers
5: in the choral field.
2: Why did you want to honor Russ and Joanne Mireille?
5: Me and the board and the singers uh, that have been involved in the choir and the community for the last eight years wanted to, I think I can speak on behalf of all those people. Procoro is an important organization to the music field, but also to to the choirs in the city because it is in a, in a sense a standard of excellence um, and something that we we can share and learn from each other in that aspect. And if Russ hasn't hadn't stepped in at his time, we would have lost this gem of an organization uh, of, of an ensemble too. And so we wanted because Russ never accepted a salary, he did this as a volunteer, we wanted to honor that time, we wanted to honor that expertise, we wanted to honor that generosity in a way that also reflects that, right? So an endowment fund keeps giving, and that's, I think, pretty much the ethos of the man's that I've encountered in my last 18 years with Prochoro, is that generosity. So, um, And that is going to keep giving forever, you know as long as that fund exists.
2: Yeah, well, I would like to go back a number of years here and ask you, Russ, what were the company circumstances when you uh, took over as ED? I believe it was back in 2008.
6: Well, Procoro had had an interesting history from, from the early 80s in that from an artistic perspective is that they were, they were always very good and, and seemed to be on the leading edge really in Canada. There's only a handful of professional choirs, and Procoro had always seemed to be there. The same could not be said of their, their business practices. And, you know, over the history is that, quite frankly, they had as many red ink years as they had black ink years, and, and it created a debt situation. You know, at the time that I got involved is that they were pretty seriously in debt. And, in fact, the, the board at that time had met to determine whether they should disband the organization or, or what they should do. Another individual, Peter, Malcolm, and I, put a plan together for the board. My background was in banking and finance, and, and you know I understood budgets and all of that sort of stuff. So between Peter and I, we put a plan together. And within, I think it was 18 to 24 months, we were able to erase uh, $150,000 debt to the organization. Wow. And equally as important is that that we designed the financial management systems so that I think since that time or over the last eight or 10 years is that there's been the one or two years where a deficit was run, but there has been no debt occurred. And I I think I can quite safely say that at the beginning of this fiscal year is that there was more money in the bank to start the year than there has been historically. So really what it was was... uh, I'm not an artist. Uh, There's nothing in me that resembles a musician in any way, shape, or form, other than marrying one. <laughs> um, it was the business side, and it was it was putting together the business structures and sometimes making tough decisions in, in terms of where the choir performed or who we can pay how much or how often we, we performed to, to make that work. And, uh, you know, it was it was really gratifying to see that over the years we've been able to build it, and through the transition is that not only were the existing fundamental standards kept, but they're enhancing those standards so that as we continue to move forward in this climate, I, I just see nothing but wonderful things for the choir. Yeah, and how long did you hold the position of ED? I think it was about eight years. It was an interesting kind of transition from from board member, you know, as, as volunteer, you know, learning the language of the arts. I'm not sure that people really appreciate that that... Arts in general have a language that's specific to them, and when you get into the various genres of art, particularly choral art, there's a language around that, and there's there's a language around not-for-profits, and there's a, a fiscal responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility to, to learn all of those kinds of things. In my case, even though I understood uh, budgets and those kinds of things, is understanding how various organizations like the granting agencies, how they played into budgets, and how reliable was the degree of funding and, and would it be up and down in a given year or a given three year period as the case may be? And how does that impact what we put on stage for our audience and our public? It was It was a pretty steep learning curve and, and I have to say that not only as a board member, but as a, an executive director, there wasn't a year that went by that I didn't learn something about the nuances. Of being part of a of the staff team on a not for profit in an arts organization. Yeah, absolutely. Were you expecting to be there for eight years in that role? I I didn't really think about it to be honest. It was you know it was a job that had to be done. But but in addition to that, it was a job that I enjoyed doing. You know, people have asked at one time or another, is you know if if there was a word that you would like applied to you and what you've done in your life, what would that word be? And for me, that word is builder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in my professional life, in a, in a in a financial company, is that you know I try to be a mentor to to my team so that you know they would grow in their abilities and their knowledge and things like that. And you know, in in Edmonton, we've been fortunate to have people like Joe Schachter that really was critical and key to, to what we have in not just the Citadel, but the theater in Edmonton mm-hmm. can, can be really laid at his feet and his vision and his dream. And, you know, who knows how much effort and time and passion and all of those money he, he put into making it happen. With Joanne's guidance, I saw Procoro as a, as a similar gem, you know, not necessarily as, as well known as, as theater as such, but something that it was special and unique to Edmonton, not only just for Edmonton audiences, but could be a vehicle that would allow, I guess, the world in a broader sense to understand that there was a special group of, of artists, of musicians in our city that had the ability to put Edmonton on the map. And as you take those baby steps for that happening, it becomes really quite inspirational. So one
2: question that usually comes up from organizations that are looking into uh, whether or not to open an endowment fund is why put that money into a fund uh, when it could go directly to operational costs? And what were some of the discussions around why the money would best be suited for an endowment fund?
6: Good question. I don't know whether it was Murray that initiated the idea or whether it was somebody from the board, but Murray and I had had a conversation about the board wanted to do something for us. The, the thank yous, quite frankly, were enough. But there's also an appreciation that the, that the board and, and the staff, actually everybody around the organization, wanted to say thank you to Joanne and, and myself for, for the contributions. And really, it seemed that the only answer was to establish an endowment. We were honored by the thanks, but we were also honored by the, the endowment. And so not only does, does the endowment last, the creation from the endowment lasts. And, and who knows, with, with some of the music that will be created in part from this endowment, it's not big enough yet to be able to support it fully, but perhaps one day it will be. Who knows, 100 or 200 years from now, somebody somewhere in the world can be singing music that was sponsored by this endowment. So Murray, could
2: you tell us a little bit about the process of establishing this fund? Uh, maybe a little bit about the Endowment Sustainability Program that Procore was a part of at Edmonton Community Foundation.
5: Well, that was, was like a course um, offered by the Edmonton Community Foundation about endowment funds. And so the ECF really walked us through at first it was really what the nuts and bolts are. What is a fund? (laughs) How does it work? Why is the Edmonton Community Foundation um, shepherding these funds? And then from there, we went to how can you broach the subject with your board and your staff to how do you communicate that you're beginning a fund, right? And then also, you know, getting to you know, you can you can contribute cash, money, or even things like you know shares, and so there's there's a whole gamut of things that we talked about and learned in that program, along with sitting at the table with a lot of other nonprofits that are not necessarily in the arts to exchange ideas and network, and yeah, it was wonderful. Of course, the staff here at the Edmonton Community Foundation was there every step of the way and answered questions. Um, And what's great with the arts is that we can also apply for matching grants uh, through Canadian Heritage. And depending on the year, you can have up to a dollar for dollar matching grant. The year that we sent in our application to the Heritage Canada, we got 65 cents to the dollar. So that goes into an endowment fund as well. The federal government likes to keep them separate. So not only do we... Have we collected these funds? But the, the government also does its part in continuing the sustain susten- sustainability. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there we go, of uh, of the fund and the organization. So between the course and between a lot of back and forth with the with the staff here, it was pretty smooth process.
2: So funds at Edmonton Community Foundation, when they reach ten thousand dollars, they can begin uh, granting. How close are you to having your fund emerge?
5: We need $2,660, but we have already raised a little over 1000 of that, and Great. we have a few weeks to go, maybe a month to go, so I'm hoping to really do that, get to that 10000 And what people need to know, too, is the organization itself can give to its fund. So if ever we're short a few hundred dollars, Procoral Canada can invest its own money into that fund to top it up and make it uh, tip into the, the granting uh, phase. So one way or the other, we're really close and we're going to get there.
2: And if anybody listening uh, to this interview right now would like to go and donate,
5: where can they do that? They can do it two ways. They can go right to the Procoro website. So that's www.procoro.ca. Go to our uh, support uh, tab and there's a donate to the Russ and Joanne Endowment Fund. There's just a button there and you can donate what you like or you can do it through the Edmonton Community Foundation. You can donate through the foundation into the fund. So whatever people feel most comfortable with, they will get a tax receipt, whether it's from Procoro or from the ECF. And a very warm thank you from Procoro Canada, that's for sure.
2: Well, those are all of my official questions. Uh, Is there anything else that maybe you you would like to touch upon that we didn't get to? Do you have anything to add, Joanne?
0: I was just going to say there's a phrase often used, I think it's a pop song, it's often used in political campaigns, but don't stop thinking about tomorrow. When you establish an endowment fund, the tomorrows are taken care of, and uh, we, at least I am, regularly shocked at how quickly I've turned from a young person to an old person. <laughs> and so, with a view to um, to the youth of tomorrow, to the community of Edmonton for tomorrow, it's a good thing to do. And it's not painful. And it's so quickly beneficial to the organization and to the city. And I encourage anyone to donate to any endowment fund, really. But this one in particular.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Many thanks to Russ, Joanne, and Mireille for sharing ProCoro's story with us. If you would like to donate to the Russ and Joanne Mann Endowment Fund, we'll have the link in our show notes. If your charity wants to start an endowment fund of its own, there are still a few spots left in ECF's next intake for the Endowment Sustainability Program. The enrollment deadline is December 14th, and we'll also include a link with more details on our website. What's next, Elizabeth?
1: We're coming up to the giving season, and year end giving is a great time to remember your favorite charities. Noel Xavier, donor advisor here at ECF, sat down with Lisa Pruden to talk about giving and why you want to make sure
4: to get your 2018 tax receipt. So, Noel, welcome back to the Well Endowed podcast.
7: Thank you, Lisa.
4: So, you're back again to talk to us about year end giving, it's our annual conversation.
7: That's right, Lisa. It's the season of giving just around the corner. It's already November 1st. At this time of year, we get busy with our holiday planning and our traveling and what have you. And so it might be something that's not top of mind for people, but still very important to remember.
4: So that's partly because we get some sweet, sweet tax credits.
7: Right again, Lisa. In Alberta, we actually have the most generous tax credit in the country. Now, there are certain stipulations, but for the majority of us, it's a 50% tax credit. It could even be as high as 54%, and Albertans can find that detail on the CRA website. But what this means for us here in Alberta is that a donation will really only cost about half what we think it will, because we're going to get the other half back when we do our
4: taxes. What are some of the do's and don'ts to make sure you're eligible for the 2018 tax credit?
7: It's important to remember that for a donation to be eligible for a 2018 tax receipt, the gift must be received or mailed before December 31st. However, there's a few things to remember about that. Even if your check is dated for 2018, it might not qualify if the gift actually doesn't get mailed until 2019. So don't just drop your donation check in a mailbox on the 31st and hope it gets picked up before the new year because it might not the postmark becomes very important. Whatever the postmark is on the envelope is the date that the gift will have been deemed to have been mailed. So if you're waiting until that last week of December, it's best to actually take the donation check into a post office and have the post office date stamp that donation envelope so that you can be sure to get your 2018 tax receipt.
4: So Noel, what's what's the best option to make sure that your donation gets in on time?
7: Well, to be very sure, the easiest way for donors is to make a gift online. And most organizations these days do have online giving. At the Community Foundation, you can go to www.ecfoundation.org and make your gift right away. And then you won't be disappointed.
4: Can people drop off their donation in person?
7: Absolutely. That's a great idea, too. But organizations may be on limited holiday hours or they may be closed. So you want to make sure that someone's going to be there. For example, Edmonton Community Foundation is closing for the holidays on Friday, December 21st.
4: Speaking of our offices here at Edmonton Community Foundation, what are some of the best ways to give if you're donating our way?
7: Well, we've already talked about the check, right? But not a lot of people have checks these days. So, one of the easiest ways is to make an online gift. And we've already talked about that. But here at the Community Foundation, donors could also donate securities or stocks, and they can also donate mutual funds but those take a little bit more time. So we would encourage donors who are thinking about making gifts of securities or mutual funds to do so sooner than later, ideally no later by December 1st for securities and really for mutual funds because they take longer, now would be a good time. So we always encourage our donors to give us a call to let us know that that's what they're thinking so that we can start working on it with them as soon as possible.
4: And that's a great takeaway too. So if you're planning your year-end giving, You want to make sure you're supporting your favorite charity. You want to make sure you get your 2018 tax receipt. Contact the organization you're giving to and see what works best for them. That's right. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Noel, for coming in again to tell us about your end giving. You're welcome. And I'm uh, I'm going to try real hard to get my donation in on time. (laughs) Me too. Thanks again to Noel Xavier for joining us. If you have any
1: questions about how to donate to Edmonton Community Foundation, please do not hesitate to reach out to our donor services team at ecfoundation.org. And we'll be sure to have some links in our show notes. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to all of our guests for sharing their stories with us.
2: And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it.
1: And if you did, please share this episode with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes.
2: Leaving a review is a big help for us, and we always appreciate your feedback.
1: Thanks for hanging out with us. I've been your host, Elizabeth Bonking.
2: And Andrew Paul. Until next time.
1: The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation.
2: And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network.
1: The show is edited by Lisa Pruden.
2: You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com.
1: Subscribe to us on iTunes.
2: And follow us on Twitter at the ECF.
1: Our theme music is by Octavo Productions.
2: And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org
4: and down